Christ is risen. You can tell the older side of the church, can't you? Because you guys like know it, and you guys like, what the heck? It's an old Russian saying I've heard. So if I say Christ is risen, you guys say, he is risen indeed. And then you can go, you, if you're really excited. So that's up to you. So what we're going to do now is we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, looking at a parable. Because it is Easter Sunday, I looked for the most Eastery parable I could find, and there were none about rabbits, so I picked a one about murder. So if you would like to open up uh, to Mark chapter 12, uh, we're going to look at the parable of the tenants. We're going from uh, verse 1 through to verse 12. Then Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard out to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants. And give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. How about I pray and then we will look at that passage. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you teach us. Thank you that we see your love for us in it. I pray that you will help us to hear from you and to be changed by you. Amen. When uh, someone does something to you or your family, uh, particularly to your family, you tend to take it personally, I'm guessing. The reason why uh, your mama jokes are so fun to tell is because they insult someone's mama and also they're sometimes a little bit funny. And so we like to tell because like, oh, we can be rude to your family. Uh, When people do things to my family, uh, it upsets me. I remember uh, once uh, my, my little sister, who I've told you about before, she's 12 years younger than me. She has a disability. And when she was younger, she didn't quite know how to express herself sometimes. She would get frustrated that she couldn't communicate properly. And so she would uh, be, act out in violence uh, because of her frustration. And there was this one day when this uh, little old lady, who was also a very cranky old lady, came to visit my family. And she was sitting on my couch. And uh, my little sister came up to her and pushed her. And so the old lady thought, oh, you can't push me. So she tried to kick my sister. And I was like, you can't kick my sister. I'm going to kick you. And then I kicked the old lady. 
No, I didn't kick the old lady. But I wanted to kick the old lady. And the reason why I wanted to kick her was because she attacked my little sister. It's like, what you do to my family, I take personally. And tonight we're going to look at this story and we're going to see that the way that we respond to Jesus, God takes personally. So we need to be very careful in our response to Jesus because God is going to take personally how we treat him. And we see this in the parable that Jesus tells. If you have a look at the parable, it starts off, there's a man and he decides to build himself a vineyard and he builds a really good vineyard. He plants all the the vines and he builds a wall and he digs a pit for the wine press and he has a a watchtower. It's it's a state-of-the-art vineyard, but he can't look after it himself. He has to go away, maybe on business, maybe on a holiday. I don't know why he goes away. He's got to go away. It's a, you know, function of the story because Jesus needs him to go away. So he goes away, but he leaves the vineyard in the hand of some tenants. And their job is to look after the vineyard and they care for it. And then uh, they get to keep some of the um, the fruit from the vineyard, but most of they have to pass on to the owner because it's his vineyard. And so they come along, they start looking after the vineyard. And as they're doing that, he decides that it's time to get some fruit from them. So he sends along a servant to collect the fruit. And this should be just some normal kind of grape transaction, which seems very easy. Can I have some grapes? Yes, you can. Here you go. We've all done that. It's just like that on a big scale. But they turn up, they're like, can I have some grapes? Like, no, you can't. And then they beat him up and send him away. And so the owner of the vineyard, he's like, I I need to get my produce. So he sends another servant. And this one, they beat on the head and they humiliate him and they send him back. He sends another one and this one gets killed. And then he keeps sending servants and some of them they beat and send back and some of them they kill. And so eventually he's got one left and he decides uh, that he needs to send that one. And that one left is his son. And he thinks, they will respect my son because he is mine. When the son turns up, he comes in the authority of the father. He comes as if he is the father. He comes uh, representing the father. And so you'd think that they should respond well. But instead, when they meet him, they decide to kill him because they want to get the vineyard for themselves. And this might seem a little odd to us because this is not usually how things work. Uh, Emily, my wife and I, we live in an apartment which we rent. And so uh, my landlord, I I don't know whether they have a child or not, but if they have a child and they sent their son to us to collect the rent that we hadn't paid, if we saw the child, the, the son, and we're like, hey, come in, and then we threw him off the balcony, the landlord would not go, oh, you threw my son off the balcony? You can keep the apartment. The landlord would say, you threw my son off the balcony, you can go to prison, and then we would get sent to prison for murder, as it should be. So why is it that these people can kill the son when he turns up and think that they get to keep the vineyard? Well, the way things worked in those days is that if you were the owner of some land and some people were looking after it, they were renting it, and you, you died and you didn't have any heirs, uh, then the inheritance passed on to those people who were looking after the land, kind of like finders keepers. They are there, they've been around, so they look after the land, they get to keep the land. So they think, if we can just kill the son, and then the, if, when the owner dies, we get to keep it. But it doesn't work out so well for them because instead uh, the owner gets angry. This is the last straw for him. And so he decides to kill them and then give it to somebody else. 
And so it doesn't work out well for anyone at all. It's not a particularly happy story. Happy Easter. So the point of the story, though, the, way that Jesus, the reason why Jesus tells this story is he's talking to the leaders of Israel. Like we might hear and go, oh, yeah, that's just a very depressing story about a vineyard. But to the people in Israel, particularly the leaders of Israel, they would recognize the imagery that Jesus is using here. Now, Jesus is referencing at the beginning, he's referencing Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, uh, there is a song for Israel, and it says this, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And this song goes on to describe uh, the things that have gone wrong in Israel. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying the vineyard is Israel. And the ones who look after Israel, the country that Jesus is in, the people who look after that, the leaders, uh, they are the, the tenants of the vineyard. And the leaders of Israel, over time, God has sent his prophets to them to say, this is my will. This is what is good. This is what is true. And the leaders of Israel have met these uh, prophets, met these teachers uh, with scorn, with ridicule, with violence, and with murder. And so now Jesus is saying, here I am. I am the son in this parable. I am the son of the father. I come as his representative. I come with his authority. Are you going to treat me like you, the leaders of Israel have treated the, the prophets in the past? Are you going to treat me like the wicked tenants? You have a choice to make. See, when Jesus tells this parable, it is not a foregone conclusion that these guys have to kill Jesus. They have a choice to make. They're not uh, victims of history or victims of the future. They get to choose what happens. Now, God, in his providence, he knows what is going to happen. And I don't know how that all works together. Uh, but he, it, it works out that they don't heed, heed Jesus' warning. They see what he is saying. They get offended by him saying that they're going to kill him. And so then they plot to kill him, which is where we get to with Easter. When we see that God sends his son Jesus and Jesus is killed by those who are afraid that the power will be taken from them. And while if they had decided to, to listen to Jesus and worship him and follow him, they would not have lost their lives. The, sorry, they would not have lost uh, the vineyard that they were in. They would not have lost their leadership of Israel. They would have been part of the new thing that God was doing. Just as if the tenants had decided to submit to the son, they would have been able to keep the vineyard. But the act of killing the son, they lose the vineyard. The thing they try and keep, they lose because they kill the son. They do not heed the warning. The question for us, though, is how will we respond to Jesus? Because what we see in the passage is just as the father takes personally how the tenants respond to the son, God takes personally how we respond to Jesus. He took it personally how the leaders of Israel responded to Jesus, and he will take it personally how we respond to Jesus. So we need to make sure that we respond properly to Jesus as the Son of God. 
Uh, sometimes we can think of Christianity as being about that we, you know, come to church or that we read our Bibles or that we are good people. We are nice people. We are friendly people. Uh, we are people who do the right thing. We have the right political views. This is Christianity too much to us. But Christianity is not about those things predominantly. Christianity is all about Jesus. If you take Christ out of Christianity, then all you have is eanity. And that doesn't make any sense at all. It's like if you take Harry Potter out of the Harry Potter series, then all you get is the story of the evil wizard Voldemort who came along and killed a bunch of people and then met Lily and James Potter, killed them, and then killed more people. It's not a very good story. Or if you take the Avengers out of the Avengers, then it's the story of how aliens and robots destroy various parts of the world, which would be cool, but that wouldn't be an Avengers movie because there are no Avengers there. And if you take Jesus out of the story of what God is doing in the world, then it is just the story how God created the world. He created a good and then a human sinned. And so God punished humanity and that's the end. It's not a good story. It is not a happy story. Jesus is at the center of what God is doing. When we put Jesus into the story, we see that we sinned, and what, though we deserve death, God sends his son, a representative of him, coming in his authority and power to love us, to live with us, and to die on a cross for us. And when he dies, he dies taking our punishment that we deserve. And then when he rises to new life, we can rise to new life just like him. That is what Christianity is all about. And so we have to say, if Jesus is the center of everything, so we, how do we respond to him? How do we respond to him? Is he the one who saves us? Is he the one who rose from the dead? Is he the one who you put all your hope and trust in? Because there are so many options in the world, some of them that we know that we are choosing, some of them that we just choose passively. But we have to actively choose to put our trust in Jesus because God will take personally how we respond to him. Jesus is at the center of what God is doing and we have to see that it is Jesus that everything is about. All the other stuff in Christianity is peripheral to that one thing, that one person, Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is the center of Christianity, if he is the center of, of what it means to follow God, to love him and to trust him, then not only do we have to know who Jesus is and what he has done and trust that, he also has to change our lives. He has to change everything about us. He has to be the center of how we live as Christians. If Jesus is the center of the Christianity, then he has to be the center of our lives. God will take personally how we respond to Jesus. Um, this uh, here is uh, my friend Howie, I think. There he is. There's my friend Howie. I have known him for a very long time. That picture was taken at my wedding. Uh, he was one of my groomsmen. Uh, he uh, is someone I met in year three. The first time I met him, I, it was the first day of school for the year. And I turned up at my friend's place because I was getting a lift to school with them. And he was there on the ground uh, in their living room playing Lego. 
And so him and I, we played Lego together and then we went to school together and we became good friends at school. Uh, then we, he turned up at my high school uh, about six months after I started there. And so we went through high school together. We didn't really spend that much time with each other until about year 10 when uh, I started getting involved in the video stuff at school, which he was doing. And so we hung out a lot after that, making videos together. And then things kind of really kicked off uh, in our friendship when uh, his parents moved to the country uh, and he had to go and live with his grandmother about two hours away from school. And I said to him, oh, you know, you can stay with us some nights. You can probably just sleep on our lounge room floor some nights when you need to get to school early. And so he came and he stayed a few nights and then he stayed a few nights and then he stayed a few more nights and then he stayed six years. He was there for a very long time. In fact, he was staying at my parents' house longer than I was at my parents' house. Uh, I moved out and he stayed. He stayed until he got married and then he managed to move out of my parents' house. And during that time, you know, we got very close we, and we are still good friends. Uh, we, you know, see each other probably about once every six months or so when, you know, we manage to catch up when I'm in Sydney. Uh, we message each other sometimes. Uh, we, he sent me a picture the other day of me that he made me look very fat with an app. And uh, that was, that's, you know, that's kind of the level of our interaction. Here you are looking like a fat person. And, and that's, you know, he's my good friend and that's how we get on. Now, this is a picture of my wife, Emily. Oh, there she is. That was also on our wedding day. Um, just, she's just wearing a normal dress that she goes shopping in all the time. Uh, that's not true. That's her wedding dress. That's what you wear on wedding day. Anyway, uh, so Emily, she, I respond to her quite differently to how I respond to Howie. I see Emily every day. And, uh, you know, we live in the same apartment as each other. And we do not murder people in that apartment. Just to clarify from the previous illustration, uh, we treat everyone as well as we can in our apartment. We eat food together. And uh, I, I talk to her regularly. I message her regularly. Uh, when I have big decisions to make in life, I discuss them with her. Like if there's a big purchase that needs to be made or a, a job to take where I need to move cities or what we're going to have for dinner. These are the big decisions that need to be discussed together. And we, we share our life together. We do life together, to use a Christian term. We our lives are intertwined. If I was to treat Emily the same way I treat my friend Howie, then there would be big problems. If I just caught up with Emily once every six months, we would have a terrible marriage. Uh, if I every now and then just sent her a photo of her looking fat, uh, we would not get on very well. It would be a terrible way to do life together. You know, you can do friendship one way, but you have to do marriage a whole other way. Now, the truth is that the way that we relate to Jesus, uh, what it says in the Bible, it says our relationship with Jesus is a lot like a marriage. It's not like a long-distance friendship. It's like a marriage. You do life together. Everything about your life needs to be intertwined. You can't just catch up with Jesus every now and again and send him a few emojis and think that, hey, look, everything is sorted out now. No, Jesus has to be, you know, the center of what you do. When you make decisions, you consult Jesus and you consult his words and you figure that out. When you, uh, when you figure out how you relate to your friendships, you do it in, in, in consultation, in life, doing life with Jesus. Jesus affects everything. If Jesus is God's representative to us, if Jesus is God himself, come to show us what God is like. God will take personally how we respond to Jesus. 
Jesus is the center of what God is doing. It's got to be the center of what you are doing in your life. So does Jesus make a difference to how you do your family relationships? Does Jesus make a difference to how you do your marriage if you're married or how you do your dating if you're dating or how you look for a partner if you're single and looking for someone or how you do your singleness if you're not looking for anyone? Does Jesus make a difference? Does Jesus make a difference to how you do your schooling? Does Jesus make a difference to how you do your uni? Does Jesus make a difference to how you do your work? Can you see how Jesus makes a difference? Are you a different person because you are a follower of Jesus than you are if you were not a follower of Jesus? Jesus has to change everything about your life because he is the center of what God is doing. He needs to be the center of what you are doing. The people who I think showed me this clearest in my life are probably were my parents. I had the privilege of growing up with Christian parents and uh, I, I learned about the world through my parents. I was a kid who, uh, when I was young, we used to listen to Christian songs. I used to listen to songs about tying my shoes with the help of Jesus, which uh, is very central, having Jesus in your life. I don't exactly know how that works, but I feel strengthened by Jesus when I tie my shoelaces. But, you know, this is the kind of life that I grew up in. I remember uh, mum and dad would often talk to me about, you know, how I relate to my friends. They, you know, how, they would say, you know, well, how do you think Jesus would want you to treat them? I remember one time I was watching a movie which had some questionable content in it. I was at home and I was a teenager and my mom came along to me and she was like, Tom, what do you think Jesus would think if he was sitting next to you right now? And I was like, oh, mom, that's the worst question ever. And then I had to turn off the film because I knew that Jesus would not be happy with the film. And so I was like, oh, why is this happening? Uh, my parents, uh, when, when I needed to make decisions, they would say to me, Did you, have you prayed about it? It wasn't like, this is what we want you to do with your lifetime. It's like, what does God want you to do with your life? I watched the way that they made decisions and their decisions they would make prayerfully. And they would make consulting God's word to see what is Jesus like? What does he approve of? How does he want us to live? I got to meet all sorts of people growing up because my parents took seriously that Jesus loved all sorts of people. So I grew up uh, going, you know, meeting all, all these people, like people um, who were, uh, you know, people who were transvestites, uh, people who were uh, dying of AIDS, uh, people who were, you know, from the street, uh, old people who were cranky and liked to hurt children, uh, all these different types of people I would meet because mom and dad would have them through their home. Because they took seriously the way that Jesus lived his life and that they needed to live differently. Even now, when I talk to them, uh, if I talk to them about something that's going on in my life, they say, have you taken it to God? Have you prayed about it? Trust him with it. And they model the fact that Jesus is the center of their lives. And they teach me to put Jesus at the center of my life. Jesus is the center of what God is doing. So we need to make him the center of what we are doing. Does he make a difference to how you live? He is God's son who came and died and rose again for us. And he cares how you live your life. How will you respond to Jesus? God will take personally how you respond to him. Uh, the last thing uh, that I want us to look at is uh, that the, the end of the story that we see in the parable is a dead son and an angry father. 
But that is not the end of the story with Jesus. If you have a look at uh, verses at verse 10 and 11, Jesus quotes uh, Psalm 118. He says this, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And though Jesus was rejected by the leaders of his day, though he was beaten, he was mocked, and he was killed, it is not the end of the story. On Friday, we remembered what happened to Jesus at the cross. But on Sunday today, we get to celebrate that Jesus came back to life. Jesus rose again. That the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus rose to new life at the center of what God is doing. In a building, I don't know much about buildings, but I think what I know about cornerstones is that they're the stone at the corner of a building. Yeah. I figured that one out. And all the other stones, they line up with that stone. They line up behind that stone. They get their position in the building from that cornerstone. The cornerstone is the central, the the main, uh, where the building starts, where where, where everything begins from. And Jesus is the beginning of the new thing that God is doing in the world. Everything that God is doing aligns itself behind the resurrected Jesus. Jesus comes back to life uh, as the beginning of God's new creation, so that if we trust in him, we rise again just like him. Everything aligns itself with Jesus. Though others rejected Jesus, he is the center of what God is doing. And so we need to make sure that what we, how we respond to Jesus, we respond to him as the one who is resurrected, the beginning of the new creation, the one who has power for us right now, the one who lives in heaven right now, the one who cares about us right now, and the one who is coming back for us in the future, and the one who will raise us up like him to live eternally in a body just like his resurrected body. This is the beginning of God's new creation, and we get to be part of that if we will align ourselves with him. Everything falls into place behind Jesus, the cornerstone of God's new creation. How will you respond to Jesus? Don't reject him like the leaders of Jesus' day. Those leaders who saw themselves as the most religious people, the ones who are most right with God. You may see yourself as a religious person, as one who is right with God, but you need to figure out, am I responding properly to Jesus? Because that is what makes all the difference. If you are a Christian, then the question for you is how do you embrace Jesus in every part of your life? How How do you make sure that you are not rejecting him in any part of your life? In all your relationships, in all your work, in all your play, in everything you do, how can you make Jesus the center? How can you align yourself behind the cornerstone? And how can you live a life of hope knowing that one day you'll be resurrected just like Jesus? God will take personally how you respond to Jesus. So put him at the center of your life because he is at the center of what God is doing. And if you are not a Christian, then the question for you, is will you embrace Jesus or reject him? 
If you are going to reject him, then you need a good reason to do it. Because either he is God who came and lived and died and rose again for us. And he has a claim on your life. Or he's something else entirely. But if he is God's son, then God will take personally how you respond to him. Do not reject him. Or you will lose everything like the evil tenants. Embrace him and be part of his new creation. Be part of what God is doing. Align yourself with him. Because in him, there is life. How about I pray for us? Lord God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you saw where we were at. That we were in sin. That we were headed for death but that because of your love for us, you wanted us to have life. So you sent us your son, Jesus, who died for us and rose again. We thank you that we have new life, that we will be aligned behind your son, the beginning of the new creation, the cornerstone of what you are building. I pray that we will not reject your son, that we will embrace him in all parts of our lives, that we will be changed as we live in the hope and the power of the resurrection. Amen.